Good morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I am your host, John Sumter, and I'm happy to be with you here today. Today's guest is Heather Bussing, who is my sometimes partner in crime and all the time genius about employment issues and, and legal issues surrounding technology. We teach a class together in social media and law. Heather, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm fantastic. So, so I think, oh, you know, would you take a moment and introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Heather Bussing. I've been a California employment lawyer for more than 30 years now and done a lot of different types of cases and helped employers and employees navigate issues that come up at work. And for the last 10 years or so, I've also been studying um, tech, the intersection of technology and people in work and law and am just fascinated by how technology is changing our work itself and how people are adapting to that. Well, this is going to be a fun conversation. So we're teaching the social media and internet law class. What surprised you most this year? The, the, the course changes a lot over time, doesn't it? Well, it, it changes. We teach it about every two years, and it changes completely every two years because the technology changes so fast and the law changes so slow. Um, so things that we were talking about six years ago still don't have laws that relate to them. And, and yet new instances show up almost every day or every week where technology and people are having some issue that, that creates a disciplinary situation or a security situation or um, just a crazy PR situation. <laughs> so um, I'm not sure that I, I'm surprised by too much anymore, um, but it is a constant flow of new things to deal with for everyone all the time. And I think I think that creates a lot of stress for people and organizations. So technology is moving faster than the law can keep up with it. What do you suppose that means for people who are in the process of studying the law and becoming lawyers? Are they going to work in a different world? Yes. Um, you know, tr traditionally, a, a problem would would arise and we would do studies and legislation would be passed and then, you know, there would be people set up to enforce it and um, the as the cases made their way through the system, as things tested that law, um, we would get clarity about how to apply it and, and what you could do and what you couldn't do and that develops very slowly over time. It takes years for a case to come to trial. It takes more years for an appellate decision to come out. And so, you know, it can be five or six years before we have guidance from the time the situation arose to to some sort of precedent that that has legal effect. And technology changes overnight. I mean, there are you know, most tech companies issue 
hundreds of iterations a day <laughs> updating um, what's going on and how things work. And sometimes the user notices that, often they don't. But but fundamentally, the way we work and how things work um, change significantly. So, you know, one of one of my favorite cases is a a case um involving Perfect Ten, which was a an an internet site that had photographs of naked women. I'm I'm assuming it was mostly women. Um and they they sued Google and Amazon for spidering the internet and creating thumbnail images of of the pictures available on their website saying it was interfering with their business because people could see the pictures without paying for them. And um, the courts analyzed sort of how the internet works and how copyright works and decided that thumbnail photographs were an excerpt of the original full-size photograph and therefore allowed under fair use. And it's a really crazy case because when you start to read it, you realize that that the internet doesn't really work that way anymore and that that this analysis was based primarily on the fact that it was too late you know the the court didn't say that but if they were to hold that you could not create thumbnail images everything about how the internet works would have to change and so what's happening is the the way things are are dictating the law now instead of the law dictating how things are and that gives technology and tech companies extraordinary power to dictate policy and and how things work just by doing it because the law can't catch up so the, so you see this strategy a lot in tech companies. You just go ahead and do the thing because it's going to take so long to deal with the legal implications of it that you may not even be in business by the time the law catches up. Right. I, yeah. Yeah, Uber is a great example. They, you know, they just decided that they were going to define themselves out of being a, a taxi company or or a public carrier, um, they were going to be a a driver and rider matching service, um, and so they routed around a lot of the laws that related to bonding and the higher standards of liability that that public transportation providers have to meet on safety and quality of you know of the the vehicles that are taking people around and they just they just redefined the category and said we're going to ignore all of the regulations that apply to taxis and limousines because um we don't think we're that and and some of it's caught up to them um but but a lot of it still hasn't and and people adopted the the services so you know you can't put the cat back in the bag um and that's that's what we're seeing over and over from a legal perspective that's a, what a great name for for a uh a, a legal business here kitty kitty here kitty, kitty. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. So bag of cats. Bag, uh, bag, well, bag your own cats. It would be like a farm. Oh, cat God. No. Bag your own cats. That's, that's Let's that's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you come from a family of um, art feminists for many generations and, and are, are pretty outspoken. The question is, what's the relationship between advanced technology and the awakening of all people are are more empowered to speak up and speak out and to get their message heard in new ways by people they never could have reached before through social media um and and so we've we've seen that phenomena happen all across the the world um with with political and social change as people learn, you know, there's more than one right way to do things and that they can, um, that they're not alone in their, in their feelings and their beliefs and that there are, there are ways to create social and political pressure. Um, so I think, you know, the, what we're what we're seeing with the Parkland um the the Douglas students is just extraordinary and and they are are taking um great lessons from the women's march that that we've actually done two of now in in protesting for for women's rights and and women's voices and I I think my generation of of women, you know, came through the, you know, we were little during the civil rights movement and the women's movement that followed that in the 70s and and felt like we had made progress and it was just going to take time to see it be implemented and and it's become clear that there's still a long way to go and that there is a lot of discrimination and harassment across all aspects of our culture that that has just been underground and that that has become a, a business risk analysis. You know, am I going to get caught? I have no intention of of changing how things are. And part of that is is the aging of the baby boomers, and people tend to become more conservative and set in their ways and nostalgic for the good old days. Um, for some of those, those were the 50s and early 60s of of women at home raising children and men going out into the world and making money and being in charge of of business. And that's just not the reality that we're dealing with anymore, um, in part because of economic issues. And, you know, everyone had to go back to work um, because because it was not possible to live on one income in our culture and economy anymore. And so, you know, there there are a lot of forces behind the the activism that we're we're seeing today and technology allows that the messaging to be spread and we're, we're seeing it in politics, but we're seeing it in activism as well. 
So as an employment attorney, you must be seeing a good deal more uh, movement in sexual harassment kinds of cases of education. How, how do you see that involved? We need to start doing more. Um, for a long time, the approach to all discrimination was plausible deniability. <laughs> and so, you know, lawyers would advise companies to avoid knowing any discriminatory factor for as long as possible in the interview process and to, you know, not to pretend to be colorblind or to not acknowledge that differences existed. And and I think the you know the original women's movement in the 70s was very focused on proving that women were as good as men by trying to outman the men outman the men there we go um and and what what my generation has discovered is that you you can have it all but you can't have it all at the same time um you know we still haven't changed the physical and biological and cultural fact that women give birth women nurse babies and women are the ones that are most responsible for early childhood care just as a physical and biological reality. And so so women have had to try to do all of those things and sort of go along with very slowly changing cultural standards about who should be cooking and cleaning the house and running errands and taking care of things. And I think we've made great strides, uh, you know, on the on that sort of domestic level. But but it's taking longer at the organizational level because we're not acknowledging the realities. We're not acknowledging that people are different and and people at different ages and people at different stages of life and people from different cultures. Um have different things that they want and different things that they do and different lives and organizations are starting to be more flexible to allow for that but we also have to say what are we doing to make sure that everyone has opportunities within organizations and given all you know some of these the physical and cultural limitations that that it, the work workers have. So so in the context of sexual harassment, we you know, have policies, we've had policies for a long time. We've had training in California, everyone who is a supervisor with reports has to do mandatory training. But obviously it's not working because sex is still sort of taboo in our culture and even though it's everywhere in advertising and catalogs and on the internet um there's still this you know shame or I'm I'm not sure exactly but scandal and drama and and wow. organizations hate those things because they take up a lot of time and and they don't get things done and so people are scared to to report discrimination and particularly sexual harassment because the traditional response has been yes we're going to investigate but but the reality is that it's a it's a death knell 
um, to your career and your job at that organization when you speak up and speak out and the cases get settled and people quietly go away and we're not addressing the damage to everyone involved and the organization. And so we're going to have to start to rethink how we address it, how we talk about it. I think organizations need to take a more active role in discovering and preventing sexual harassment um, and not just rely on victims to come forward. And I think there are some interesting things that we could be doing uh, with data and technology to to start to understand what's going on. Oh, I, I wonder if, well, first of all, um, is, is the current groundswell permanent or is this another two steps forward that we're going to see one step backwards come along? I think the groundswell is permanent. I I think this is a cultural shift that is not going away. Um, I, you know, women make up half the workforce and more than half the population. And we are, um, we want to be heard. We want our needs met. And that's not too much to ask. <laughs> so I don't think that's going away. I don't think that's going away. And I think we also need to look at people of color and other oppressed um, groups based on religion or national origin, immigration status. Uh, All of these people are important parts of our culture, our economy, and our lives. And um, it's, it's time for our culture to expand, to include them, and our organizations to be more responsive to people and their differences. So do you think there's an alternative to the way that we're communicating this right now? It looks like um, sort of, here's the boundary, and if you cross them, you get punished. And my sense <laughs> is that that doesn't teach, doesn't teach anybody anything, and it makes you makes one uh, wary of where the line is. And so you spend your time trying to figure out where the line is because it's a punitive approach to boundary drawing. Is there a way to do this by modeling what should happen and by pointing out examples of how it works, of of how it works without the conventional old-fashioned approach to relationships? When people have been holding on to mistreatment um, and don't even know it for a while, um, and then then lines are crossed where it's like, no, this is outrageous. Um, there, there's a natural period of uprising and anger and name-calling, and defensiveness on both sides. And I I think that part is an important part of shifting the political pressure and the political environment, and I think it's necessary. Um, I think when we start to sit down and look at what changes we want to make, then things will calm down and we can get focused on what the solutions are. But, 
but we're not there yet because because the systems of power are are still grasping to the old ways and until there's enough leverage for those systems to understand that they have to adapt and adjust and change um you're going to see some more escalation and and right now you're at least i'm seeing it in in very constructive ways as as well as the sort of name calling and um john you ignorant you know whatever <laughs> so, um so I I think I think the anger and frustration and protest are an important part of the change and and like the civil rights movement in the 60s and the women's rights movement in the 70s you reach a point where where change begins to happen and you know if you if you look at at who is coming up and into power um i look at my law students who are in their 20s and 30s and they are are naturally more inclusive regardless of of their political leanings on economic or policy issues and and I would say a majority of my male um, law students are, are feminists, and we are raising our sons to be feminists and to appreciate people for who they are instead of make assumptions about them based on race or gender or class or religion or any of the other things. And so I I see that as probably being the most powerful change that is coming is that the the voters and the millennials have grown up in a different culture with different values about how things should work and and they are going to be becoming our bosses and becoming the people who are running our organizations and who will be elected to legislators and will be setting policy in the future. And that doesn't happen overnight, but I believe it's coming. When you, when you think about technology, let's go back to that again. Um, the, the essence of uh, artificial intelligence or the stuff that's being passed off as artificial intelligence is it learns from the past and then slowly learns from, from the present and then doesn't learn from the future. And so if you're talking about this sort of a change where interactions are going to shift as the result of social forces, I wonder if technology doesn't become an inhibiting factor rather than an accelerating factor. What do you think? Well, I, I think, you know, what we've seen is that Technology is very literal and based on logic and often based on binary choices and and can only draw from the context and the information that it has. And so when you feed in historic data that is inherently biased, um, 
you're going to start seeing correlations and predictions based on those biases get amplified. And because because that's the the learning data that AI is based on. And so we're going to have to really, really watch what happens because we don't understand exactly how this stuff works. And we don't... Um, we don't always understand the difference that correlation does not equal causation. <laughs> and so it so understanding correlation as a as a basis for further investigation is really important. Um and a and a well regarded scientific principle. But making predictions based on correlation alone may not be the best um idea. And even even making, you know, decisions based on on data alone without the context and without the reality um, that you are seeing all around you in in our analog world, um, I think we're I think we're going to see some things go terribly wrong. You know, my my favorite analogy is is following Google Maps when when it's telling you to do something and you can see that that's not the current condition. And yet our instinct is that the map and Google has a bigger perspective than we are and more data and knows more. And we should follow that recommendation. And, you know, you and I got lost in Boston for 40 minutes once (laughs) based on, on the, on the assumption that the map knew more than we did. So, um, and and there are lots of stories about people, you know, driving down dead end roads and and you know getting into all sorts of crazy situations because the data was wrong. So it's I, I'm very concerned about us outsourcing responsibility and outsourcing our decision making to machines that are based that are that are offering predictions and recommendations that are based on historic biased or or incomplete data and that that are based on on correlation um that that may not be complete and it, and may not actually work and um so i think in some cases AI and and predictive analytics are are not going to save us work. They're going to create a whole bunch more work um, by by offering predictions that don't make sense or by offering um, potential insight that needs to be investigated further in different ways. Well, we have went through our half hour. Um, would you take a moment and reintroduce yourself? <laughs> I'm Heather Bessing. I am an employment lawyer. I am a writer, um, and um, I I really care about the human aspects of dealing with technology. Thanks, Heather. Uh, you've been listening to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. We've been talking with Heather Bessing. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you again next week. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye now. 